Hey listeners, it's Ryan from the Big Ed Idea Podcast. So I'm curious, are you as excited about these in-person conferences being back as I am? Have you heard about the 2022 Teach Better Conference this October 14th and 15th in Akron, Ohio? I definitely love my Teach Better family. So I am super excited to share a pretty cool opportunity for you to save $50 on tickets. Head over to www teachbetterconference.com forward slash register and use the code IDEA2022. Who knows? Maybe I will see you there. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. Hello, hello, Big Ed Idea listeners. Welcome back. This is episode 2.21. I'm super excited. This is the first guest that I get to interview while I am actually reading their book. So it's super cool. I get to nerd out um, because I get to get the author that it, that really is on my night table right now. So um, yeah, I'm super excited. Miss Julie Schmidt Hassan. Um, if, if you know anything about the Edgesphere and you've floated around in the Edgesphere for a little while, you've probably heard her name. Um, she is the author of a book that we will talk about a little bit later. I'm about halfway through and it is awesome. So I can't wait to talk about um, it with her. Um, but Miss Julie, welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so I've been looking forward to it. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I appreciate that. I have also been looking forward. Um, like I said, your your book that um, I think recently came out. Was that right? It, it came out at the end of 2021. So oh, it's okay. so fairly new. OK, yeah, 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 definitely. And um, here in a second, I'll give you a chance to talk about that. But why don't you tell all those folks that are listening just who Miss Julie is? Oh, that's it. That's a deep question. It's a deep. Yeah, we don't have to go existential <laughs> on this one. Um, you can totally keep it in the edgesphere. Um, you know, if you want to go deep, we'll go deep. But who is Julie? Who am I? I am a professor at Appalachian State. I always have to help people say Appalachian. That's right. State. That's right. In the College of Education, I teach school administration to graduate students. I'm a qualitative researcher, and my research focus is on long-term teacher impact, um, which is almost too much fun to be research. Yeah, right. So I've spent the last six years talking to people about the teachers they remember and trying to understand what teachers say and do that makes a lasting impact on people's lives. So really, I probably, if I had to describe myself, I would say passionately curious. I wonder about a lot of things and I'm a learner and I just like to share what I've learned with teachers, hoping it will help them help kids. Yeah, that, de- that definitely resonates with me. You know, you said you are a passionate learner. Um, 
like I was, I was sharing with you prior to the show starting. Yeah. I always have a book. I'm always learning. It's really hard for me to go into fiction. seems like mm -hmm. I've always got nonfiction. Um, so, okay. Appalachian state. Now is that in North Carolina? Is that correct? It is. It's on the Western edge of North Carolina in Boone. In Boone. Okay. Is it, uh, close to, Ash to, um, Asheville? It's probably an hour and a half away from okay. Asheville. It's really close to Tennessee. Yeah, yeah so we're yeah. right on, right on that border in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Okay, okay, yeah, definitely beautiful. Um, I actually proposed to my wife um, in Hot Springs, North Carolina. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So I had been there in college with a group of friends, and then you know when the when the time came, I was like, oh yeah, that's a totally awesome place. So I took her there and went up. Uh, up on Max Max Patch, up on the Appalachian yes. Trail. Yeah, yes, yeah. So yeah, I love North Carolina. It's it's gorgeous, a really cool, gorgeous. Um, I'm a hiker, so mm -hmm. one of my to dos is the Appalachian Trail. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'll make it to Appalachian State someday. Well, if you do, you have a friend. I appreciate that very much. Okay, so bef before we get going, I definitely want to give you a minute to talk about your book. Um, now I know there's no video on this one, so it doesn't really matter that I show the camera, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> so your book safe seen and stretched in the classroom, the remarkable ways teachers shape students lives. Um, I've got to tell you, I really, really love it. And I love the way that you got your research too. So if you just want to take a second, talk to our, our listeners about what this book is and, uh, why you decided to do it. Yeah, it didn't start out to be a book. When I moved from my principal job to my professor job, I was told you need a research focus. And I thought, okay, what do I really want to know? And what I really wanted to know was what do teachers like my first grade teacher, Mrs. Russell, say and do that makes this lasting impact on our lives? So I started out talking to teachers about their impact, but that was really poor research design. Because we don't know yeah, unless yeah. kids like come back to see us, write us a letter, reach out on social media. We have no idea what our long-term impact is. True. Yeah. So I had to talk to former students. They're not hard to find. They're everywhere. Like you and I are former students. The world is full of them. And I decided the best thing to do was go where a lot of people congregate because I wanted to talk to people from different backgrounds with different life experiences. So I bought a sign from a print shop, you know, one of those corrugated signs on a stake that you stick in the yard that said, let's chat about a teacher you remember. I love that. And I, I took it to like flea markets, farmers markets, craft fairs, university campuses, public parks, anywhere I wouldn't get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Put my sign in the ground and people lined up to tell me stories about their favorite teachers. I had no idea how much that $25 sign would change my life. So about a hundred stories in, it became a blog, the Chalk and Chances blog, because it wanted teachers to be able to access the stories and try to understand their impact. And then eventually became a book, which was published last spring. So the book really is a narrative. Like, I think it reads a little like a novel. Yeah. Yeah. It's the research journey from getting the sign to you know, a year into the project. And in it are the stories that people told me 
and what those stories mean for us in our practice. Yeah, definitely. And I will tell the, the readers out there, it's very, it's a, it's, it's an easy read. Um, and when I, when I sit down and read it, it really felt like I was having a conversation with you as you're writing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like those types of books that kind of just flow and, um, yeah, it just feels like a conversation. And, and I love, I think there was, there was one particular point you had interviewed. Um, I think it, it, in my mind, what I'm trying to remember here, there was an older, it was either a man or a woman. And I believe they're like in their eighties or something. And when you started talking to this person, like the light and the um, happiness and the joy, like after what, like 70 years of being in a classroom just came flooding back to these people. And, and I know anybody that's, that's listening to this, um, that's what we want. And so your book is, is essentially, you know, how do we get that? Right. Right. And I try to explain the emotion when I ask people to tell me about their teachers and I'm not sure I can totally describe it, except that it's this mix of just gratitude and joy and love for someone who poured discretionary effort into them when they were young. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's such a beautiful feeling and connection. And it's something that connects all of us. We were all once scared kids walking into a classroom on the first day of school. I still am. Uh, me too. Me too. And, and we wanted to love our teachers and we wanted them to love us. And it's in this very divided country and world, it's something we have in common. Yeah. And it, that same emotion comes up in people. Every time I ask the question, like, tell me about a teacher you remember. It's that, you know, grown men, military veterans start to cry. So I hope teachers know that when people talk about them, that these really strong emotional reactions come up, this like really deep gratitude comes up. And it's almost like, like when you're talking just now, the word that kept coming to my mind, uh, Julie was reverence. Like there's there's almost like this deep reverence for these people. Um, Some people, I mean, when I say this, I truly mean it. I feel like sometimes we, we, in education, we don't spend enough of time on the psychology behind the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, we spend a ton of time on the pedagogy. Um, and I know as a former principal, you'll know what I mean. You know, you got to have those DOK questions up to snuff. You got to have your essential questions up on the board. You got to have, got to have the right lesson template, but, but how much time do we, do we honestly intentionally think about the psychology behind our classroom. And, and that's what I love about your class or, or your uh, book. It really talks that's, a lot. That's so it. true, right? And it's interesting to me that, you know, these stories are about teachers who had kids sitting in rows or teachers who had kids in flexible seating. None of that really mattered. What mattered was the relationship. Yeah. And their the teacher's effort. And really, most importantly, the way people felt in yeah. those classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to uh, gravitate a little bit away from the book. Cause I feel like we could talk about this book forever. And, and I know it will, come, <laughs> I know it will come back. Um, especially when we start talking about your big idea. Cause I mean, you know, how could that not come back? Um, but I do want to say this before we get to the what's up with the Scott house. Um, I have recently taken over an alternative high school. 
Um, and so every student that is in my school have been expelled from one of the five area uh, local schools. So these are kids that, um, let's be honest, they don't want to be there. Um, they're not motivated. Um, they don't really have a wonderful experience with, with um, education in, per se. And so one thing that I have been trying really hard to let my staff know is that it is okay to put connections before content in our school. Um, yeah. and, and my feeling is until these kids feel loved and supported and a sense of belonging, the content really isn't that important to them. And so I love what you've said. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm hoping that after I'm done with your book, that I can definitely bring some nuggets of wisdom from you, uh, to my staff. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you and I are research nerds, like yes, we, we read, and yeah. we love articles and books. So there are researchers named Bolesky and Stipik who researched student engagement. And what they found was student engagement depends upon students' feelings about school. And their feelings about school are so um, deep in their yeah. feelings about their teacher and that relationship. So we have to pay attention to how kids feel about school, how they feel about their teacher, how they feel about themselves as learners, because they will not engage unless we think about that feeling piece. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, um, I'm going to schedule a different time for you and me to just sit down and talk because this <laughs> stuff, no, like I love it. I love talking about this types of stuff. That's what I'm same, interested in. Same. I know that's what you're interested in. Um, but you know, the people called that, you know, the people that came up with this podcast and wanted to listen, they want to listen to your big idea. So let's get rolling okay. towards that area. Um, Julie, one of the, the major things that I, and I hit on this earlier was that I really believe in that connections before content. And so before we get into your idea, I want our listeners to know a little bit more about who you are and who I am. Um, I feel like that builds trust between us. Um, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability. So we're going to get a little vulnerable here. Um, the first thing that I like to do is I'm going to give you three words that represent what's going on at my house right now. First one is two weeks. Next one is weekend at home. And the last one is falling behind. Um, and I know that there, those are more than three words. So sorry, I already broke the rules. But my phrases count. <laughs> yes, phrases count. Okay. Two weeks. Okay. So that has to do school starts here in two weeks. Um, and you can't see me out there, but I don't have a lot of hair, but the hair I do have, I'm pulling out um, two weeks. Oh my Lord. I'm, yeah. You know, I know it will be wonderful when the kids get in the building. It's always worth it. It's always easier when the kids are in the building, in my opinion. Um, so I know it'll be good. I'm just, just stressing. Next one, weekend at home. Um, it is Sunday night and we have been able to stay at the house for most of the weekend. And I love those weekends playing in the pool, mowing the yard, hanging out with the kids. Just that's what I love. Um, we've got a house with five acres, so it's really nice to just stay at home. Um, and then my last one falling behind Julie and I had talked about this. I'm in the middle of writing my first book and man, life is busy. And so I've fallen a little bit behind on my book. I know I'll catch back up on it. Um, but man, I'm feeling just, you know, I, we all have, we all like to be on target. So I'm a little bit uh, off a of target. So stress is a little bit high, but that's okay. I'll get it done. So um, you'll, you'll totally get it done. And I can't wait to read it. 
Well, I appreciate that. I will send you a book with a nice little card in it, like you sent me. Oh, perfect. Okay. So, Miss Julie, what three words or phrases would describe the Hassan house? Oh, the Hassan house right now is chaos. <laughs> okay. And also hope and wonder. Um, hmm. Chaos because we are in the middle of a renovation oh. at our house, which has been a bit chaotic. Yes. That um, it will be great when it's no, worth done. It. Yeah, yeah. Worth it. Hope and promise probably because we are both professors and we're getting ready as you are to start a new school year. And I love the hope and promise of a new school year, new students coming, um, you know, for App Appalachian State football season starting, like all the things that come with the new school year. And then um, wonder. So here in the mountains, we live in the forest. It's summer and the baby deer are coming around and, and all the things that we've had baby wild turkeys, like all oh, the yeah, things that yeah. come with this season. It's one of the things I love here. It's just the change of seasons and the wonder in all of those seasons. So that is that is where the Hassans are right now. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So now I've got two getting to know you questions. Uh, my first one, if you could eat breakfast with anyone that is currently alive, where would you eat and with who? Oh, that's such a good question. I would eat with, this is probably surprising, but we're both blondes. Dolly Parton. Yeah. I'm Excellent so, lady. Yes. I'm so fascinated by her as a woman who is also a creator. You know, she's a songwriter. She's a musical artist. Um, she's a business owner. She, she's a philanthropist. Absolutely right there. She somehow has managed to carve out this path for herself in an industry that was mostly men. Right. And make this big impact, but stay true to herself. So as a woman, as a fellow blonde in the South here, I would love to listen to her talk about how she did that, how she, she managed to stay on that path and stay true to her and make and create so much good in the world and so much beauty and music and create jobs for her community. It's I, I'm amazed by her. So I would definitely have breakfast with her and we would eat here at the sunrise grill in Boone because their eggs are fantastic. And okay. I think Do Dolly would appreciate the grits. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. If, if you're the owner of the sunrise um, and you're listening, I think you owe Miss Julie at least one free breakfast. Right. And grits comes with everything. Grits just comes. Grits so. with cheese? <laughs> grits with cheese. Absolutely. Okay. 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 All you Northern Yankees that are listening, you don't know nothing about grits. You got to yeah. go down south. Y'all eat the cream of wheat. That's different. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and my second question, Miss Julie, what is your favorite candy? My favorite candy is York peppermint patty. Love a peppermint. The little ones. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. Can't have too much. You know those little ones like you can get at the cash register. Sure. At the, we're so southern here, right? At the general store, you get the little <laughs> twenty-five right. cent peppermint patty. That's it for me. That's all I need. Okay. Okay. And so I'm going to ask you something. Um, also, so at church camp because I did church camp all last week. Um, and I've been at it doing the same church camp for about 25 years with a good group of people. And 
They always make fun of me because my favorite candy is circus peanuts. Is that anybody's favorite candy? <laughs> For real? Yeah, that's, that's seriously. Yeah. Those orange spongy Yeah, things? yeah. Really? Yeah, so we Googled it last week. Wow. And there is actually a circus peanut butter that you can buy. Whoa. <laughs> where, where might you buy that? I don't know. I saw it on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I haven't ordered it yet. but I would say Amazon. You can get anything through anything. Amazon. Anything. <laughs> okay, Miss Julie, what um, two getting to know you questions do you have for me? To getting to know you, what is the best thing about being a dad? Oh, wow. You're going deep early. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not only a dad, I'm a girl dad. So I have four daughters. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. 19, 10, seven, and five. And so, Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah. I love being a dad and I'll be honest. Um, and people that have listened to any more, any of my episodes probably have heard me say this, but I did not find purpose in life until I became a dad. Um, I pretty much wandered. I call it my wandering years from 16 to 22 ish. Um, and when I figured out I was going to be a dad unexpectedly, it really, really showed me that life was not all about me. Um, I really feel like that's when I kind of got my, my head screwed on straight. So um, yeah, being a dad has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, and girls, I mean, girls love their dad, don't they? Yeah, most of the time. For, forever and always. Yeah, yes. Yeah. For, you're, for, you're their first love. That's Sweet. right. That's right. So, favorite book of all time. Favorite book of all time. <sighs> okay, so can I have a tie? Sure. There's no rules. Okay. Okay. So my number one book is On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Um, Love that book. And I'll tell you why. So I was 18, um, very unsettled in my skin. I was going to college at Murray State University in Western Kentucky, but I really just felt an urge to move, I guess is the, the, the best way to say it. And so I read On the Road by Jack Kerouac and then dropped out of school, moved to Louisville, lived in Louisville for a little while, and then uh, traded my truck in for a 1977 Volkswagen van um, and then started heading west um, in the direction of Taos, New Mexico. And then my van broke down and I had to move back home. And so, yeah, that book um, inspired me to do all kinds of crazy stuff. But I love, 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 love that book. Um, and then second book, and it probably nobody has ever heard of this book. Maybe you have, um, Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. I have heard of it, but I haven't read it. Okay. So book in the seventies, uh, very much, I guess that seventies science fiction genre, but it's about a Martian that comes to earth and it's all about the human condition through a Martian's viewpoint um man spot on about humanity but it's through a martian's uh viewpoint and so those are my two favorite books oh good choices yeah yeah so anybody out there um google them they're good books okay so uh now miss julie that you know me and i know you a little bit deeper now let's jump into this 
um, who Julie was or is in education. And so I'm always curious. I think a lot of people are curious about how people find education. Um, there's normally two paths. There's, there's the folks that, you know, they, they were their teacher um, when they were five, six, seven, and eight. That's what they did all the time. They knew they were going to be a teacher and it's just a very linear, linear path. And then there are some of us like me that was very all over the place and you kind of just found education. And so how did Julie find the education world? Mm. I'm a third generation educator. Oh, okay. So my, my grandmother was an amazing teacher. My mother was the most amazing teacher. And actually I'm the mom of a fourth generation. Oh, so my daughter remember. is a fabulous third grade teacher. Excellent. It's, this is, it's our family business. So it wasn't a hard, wasn't a hard find for me. I, you know, I, I have loved it my whole life. I loved school as a kid, thanks to the teachers I had. Um, I saw how hard my mom worked, but I saw the impact she made. Mm -hmm. So I, I think for me, once I started, um, it was clear there was nothing else I ever wanted to do except teach and try to understand the beautiful mystery of teaching and learning. Absolutely. So how long were you in the classroom and then how long um, as, as an administrator? I was in the classroom about 15 years, okay. mostly ki kindergarten through second grade. So I taught early childhood. Did you teach? Yeah. Kinder Isn't it yeah. the best? Like it's the most exhausting, <sighs> but everything is exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I loved kindergarten. And when I moved to a new district in Florida, as a kindergarten teacher, the next year we lost a kindergarten unit and I had to go to second grade and I made my principal promise I could go back to kindergarten. He said, you won't, you will, no one ever goes back once they move up a grade. And he was right. I stayed in second grade. <laughs> <laughs> the rest, second grade is just the sweet spot. Oh yeah. You know, they're a little, yeah. they're a little independent, yeah. but they're not, they're not real sassy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so K-12, K through two mostly. And then I was an administrator for 10 years, an assistant principal and a principal. I was my favorite teacher's principal for a few years. Very so my first grade teacher, Mrs. Russell, who really laid the foundation for me as a struggling reader, she taught for me when I was a principal, which was the privilege of my professional life to watch her teach again. And then I became a professor. So I've been a professor since 2015, so seven okay. years okay. now. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. I uh, definitely see myself in the College Avenue one day. Um, yes. But I'm loving what I'm doing now. But who knows? Who knows? I know. You will miss it no matter when. You know, you'll miss K-12. I try to be in schools quite a bit, and I do principal coaching and a lot of training. So you can get a little fix, but it's not the same. Once, no. you, once you leave it, it's not the same. Sure, sure. Yeah, I was in uh, elementary land for 10 years, and then um, I've been in high school world now. This will be my sixth year, and I definitely miss my elementary kids, um, but I'll be honest, I treat my high school kids just like my elementary kids. What I've, yeah. what I've figured out is um, kids are kids. They pretty much like the same things. The older ones are just hairier and stinkier. True, but it, don't we all, like at heart as humans... I've been thinking about this with teachers. 
teachers need from us as principals the same thing that kids needed from us as teachers. Like it's just what people need. Big yes. <laughs> Big yes. Yeah. Kevin Curtis, uh, who's one of my buddies from down in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of stole it from him. He says everybody needs to be valued, seen and heard. Um, and so, yeah. And, and my first year here going into this new building, that's our overarching theme. And that's the, the main thing we want to get right is figure out what I want to, what I want to do is ask my staff, how can I make you feel valued, seen and heard? But then yes. I'm, asking, I'm asking that they flip it. And I want them to ask their students as well. Um, build that, that love piece. So absolutely. So, Miss Julie, um, you know, this is the Big Ed Idea podcast, and so I would be remiss if we didn't talk about the idea that you got, Um, but obviously your idea is probably spurred from a problem that you see in education, and Mm -hmm. so before we talk about the idea, let's talk about what that problem is, and so Julie, what is the problem in education that your idea kind of helps to uh, alleviate? I've been thinking like so much about this because it's, for me, what I find comes out of the stories I collect in the research. And I've realized across several stories now that what I'm seeing is that our impact is born of challenges and problems in the classroom. Oh, yeah. And sometimes our biggest problem is either thinking that we shouldn't have problems yeah. <laughs> or feeling like these problems are kind of interfering in our work when really the problems and challenges are the work. So if I think about me as a kid, you know, as a first grader and a struggling reader, the reason Mrs. Russell made such an impact on me is because I had that problem and, you know, she found ways to help me grow. And there's so many stories where something goes down in a classroom, a kid makes a choice that's not a great choice, or um, there's some kind of conflict, that's the lever for us as educators to make an impact. Uh, So that's what I've been really thinking about lately is what are the steps there? So how do we get from this problem happens, this challenge happens, and we have these emotions around it, and we, you know, we have to figure out what, how to respond quickly. How do we take those problems and challenges and leverage them to make an impact. Ooh, man, you are hitting my heart tonight because uh, (laughs) no, like definitely um, I've written it down. The problem and challenges are the work. And I'm definitely going to write that on my board in my office tomorrow. Um, You know, I mean, being a, being a principal is tough. Sometimes there are problems and there are challenges, um, but that's the work. And I love it. I love it. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. So that's where the opportunity is, right? It's, it's hidden in that stuff. If, if we had an easy time, we wouldn't need to be highly skilled. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So if problems and challenges are the work, what's your big ed idea? So my idea is that when a problem or challenge happens in the classroom, if we will just pause, like let the emotions go, the frustration, the feeling of being disrespected, you know, all the things that come up when a student does something that we don't like or, or that we directed them not to do. If we will pause and we will just get curious, like ponder it, 
push aside all our assumptions, all our narratives, and ask some questions. And I have uh, like this beautiful story that a man told me about his home ec teacher. He said, I loved home ec. You know, we cooked on Fridays. This one particular Friday, we made chocolate chip cookies. And uh, I, my teacher said, when they cool, you can eat one. And he realized that she saw him put three in his pocket and she asked him to stay after class. Whoops. You can think like as a teacher, he didn't follow my directions, disrespectful, like all of the things, but she didn't like, she could have written him a referral. She could have excluded him from cooking. Instead, she pushed all of that aside and she said, are you hungry? Hmm. And he, he was. His dad had left. There was no food in the house. Their electricity had been turned off. Like this was a hungry kid. Um, so she started letting him wash his clothes in the home back room. She and her church ladies started bringing bags of food for him. She changed his life because of a pause and a pondering. Like she, she stopped all of those emotions of frustration and, you know, feeling disrespected and instead chose to ask a question and asking that question changed everything. Holy cow. Yeah, no pause and just get curious. That is some of the best ideas. I know you understand this. Some of the best ideas are just common sense. Like, why didn't we think of that? Like you're exactly like you are exactly right. Um, how many times as a teacher did a student say or do or not say or not do something? And immediately we jump in and, and make an assumption when I love what you're saying, pause, get curious. And that means ask questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because- so I've been wrestling with that. That idea has been on my mind and I've been looking at the stories people have shared. I've been looking at the research and trying to say, how do we do this? Like, what are, what do we need to manage about ourselves? What steps do we need to take so that instead of like being right, we can choose to make an impact. I mean, she would, she would have been right to write him a referral, but she chose to make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I like that too. Be right or make an impact. Which would you rather be? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I know for me, I'd rather make an impact. Same. Um, so do you have, because, and I know, you know, we can sit here and we can talk about it, but then, you know, we got a class full of 30 kids. And um, when I was a kindergarten teacher, you got, you know, a class full of 22 kindergartners. Um, you know, you got one kid over here picking his nose. You got another kid over here upside down on his head and, <laughs> you know, so, okay. Do you have any advice for people that are listening that might be like, yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, how can I do that? Right, it really is. Um, and I, I don't think we can do it in every case all the time. Sure. sure. We're, out, we're outnumbered, right? We're sure. human and we have to, to acknowledge our humanness <laughs> and, and our limitations. But I think if we can do it as often as possible, if we can really pay attention and be intentional about our impact, it will make a difference. So if we really think my job here is to really see kids for what they are, to not make assumptions about them, to try to imagine what they can become and see my role in that, 
then I can choose to push aside all of my own frustrations, all of my own assumptions, and try to understand. So much truth, and I'm writing it down. Do you want to be right, or you want to make an impact? And yeah, you're exactly right. You know, th there are going to be times where you maybe you just got to do it. You know, you got to make that yeah. decision real quick, and whatever that is. But um, yeah, and we're going to make wrong decisions, but there's such an impact in then acknowledging that and offering a sincere apology to a kid too. I mean, some kids have been owed a sincere apology for their whole lives and no one's ever modeled that for them. We can make mistakes and model that for them. That's exactly right. Um, I'll tell you to this date, my favorite job in education has been the assistant principal um, mm. dealing with behavior because it gave me multiple times in a day to talk with kids and to really dig down deep. Um, and I can't remember who the person is that says this, but something about if you would take the time to learn the kid's story, it would make you cry and not mad. And so many times I would get office referrals from a teacher um, very well-intentioned. Don't get me wrong. Very well-intentioned. There was this kid acting up in your class. I get it. You're trying to teach. I get it. And they come down to my office. Um, and you're right. When I just take the time, open up the gate and just give them an opportunity to talk the things that would come across that desk to me, if the teacher had the ability to take two to three minutes to talk to this kid about those same things, Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, it's unbelievable. Some of the things that little people are coping with the big things that little yeah. people are coping with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one of my uh, goals for this year is to try to figure out a way for more restorative conversations to happen between teachers and students in my, either in my office or outside the office. So, you know, after a kid gets a write up or, or, or something, um, and that the teacher has to write them up and then they come down to me and we have that conversation. I want, I'm trying to find a way to make it more purposeful so that I can, we can go back around and the teacher can be involved in that conversation. Um, yeah. it's just so, so powerful to me. And that relationship, I mean, we know that student teacher relationships are the lever for better outcomes. So when we choose to be right, yeah. write the referral, you know, be, be the one in charge, then <laughs> um, we may be choosing to exclude a kid or choosing to damage a relationship. There's John Gottman, who is a psychologist, like a relationship researcher, talks about bids for connection, which are so simple. But if we could do that simple thing, which is respond positively to bids for connection, we could really change student behavior, student outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Okay, Miss um, Julie, I think we have talked in depth about your big idea, um, about this idea that uh, just pause, pause first, get curious, um, get down, you know, almost, almost to the root of it and figure mm -hmm. out how you can make an impact and not just be right. I love it. Yeah. I love it, love it, love it. It's for me, it's like pause, ponder, and persist Ooh. is the three steps, right? Um, the three steps to 
taking a challenge and, and turning it into an opportunity for impact. Okay. So I think the pause is pretty self-explanatory. I think the ponder is pretty self-explanatory, but give me a little bit of background. What do you mean by the persist? Because we know relationships with kids are up and down. Right? Yeah, sure. Like we think we've turned a corner with a kid and then they do something and you're like, no, why? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we have to just be willing to go down that road, knowing it's going to be up and down, you know, that it's not going to be a straight positive trajectory. And we have to be willing to be in it for the, the long ride with a kid. Um, and it will build trust and it will teach us how to be better educators. And it will certainly um, teach our students, especially the ones who are struggling, that we have their back, that we have their best interests at heart, that someone cares enough to stick with them through the mess. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah. So we are in the people business. Um, we're not in the, you know, I'm going to say it. We're not in the content business. We're in the people business. And I've been married for 13 years. I know you've been married for a little while. Relationships aren't easy. Yeah. No, um, relationships 30, 32 years. Ooh, here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A little bit longer than me. Um, a, little, a little while. A little bit longer. I actually, I told one of our brand new teachers this last year, uh, we were having this this conversation about a tough child in their room. And I said, you know, um, if we choose relationships, um, it gets really hard. It would be a lot easier to be that teacher that comes in and says, I'm not going to smile until Christmas. The teacher that comes in and says, I'm not going to form relationships. Um, because then you don't have to get invested emotionally in these students. And so when you do, and you realize that relationships are tough, um, you are going to have those moments. Um, but I love what you're saying, persist through it. Number one, your kids are worth it. Yeah. And, and it, it will be worth it for you, for what you will learn about yourself and your kids and for the way you will grow, like just invest in it, be vulnerable, like go all in and you will get so much out of this work exactly right and I want to take that circle back around to where you started talking about in the very beginning you know you're very interested in and in why people uh, teach and why they stay teaching and um, what kids remember about the classroom and if, if anybody is listening that is not an educator um, maybe you have pondered it um, you have thought about it um, this conversation with Julie tonight really is my like this is your, this is my why of being a teacher. It's about these relationships. Um, and so if you've ever thought about becoming a teacher, what Julie is talking about tonight is exactly why you should. Um, my last guest, the question he asked me um, was like one of my biggest fears. And one of my biggest fears, Julie, is that when I'm gone, nobody talks about me. Um, mm. But the best thing about a teacher and especially being a teacher with impact is that you never die because your students talk about you, hopefully good, long after you're gone. Absolutely. And then you have an impact on the kind of parents they become or the kind, whatever they go off to do, the impact they make on other people is tied back to the impact you made on them. And the people I talk to 
can tie things about their life now to something that happened in a classroom. It's these ripples of impact that we make that we cannot underestimate. Yeah, that's exhilarating and scary as heck at the same time. Yeah, and so, so the man who told me the story about his home ec teacher works in it. I met him volunteering in a food bank. He oh, works wow. in, he volunteers in a food bank now to honor that teacher. She's gone. She's passed. But he continues to do that because of what she did for him. Um, like beautiful, right? To honor somebody that way. There are people who feel that way about us, you know, who in whatever ways continue to honor the impact that we made on their lives. It's such, um, it's such a beautiful legacy Mm -hmm. that we leave. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, so, so to my educators that are, that are listening, I know um, you might not be just as close to your first day as I am. Um, but I hope that you have heard tonight um, or this morning, wherever you're listening, I hope you have really heard the fact that there are, a, you know, yes, we have things that we can stress about in the education field. Um, you know, I'm super, super stressed out. I don't have all my duty schedules done yet. Um, we don't have all the class schedules done yet. Um, you know, we're still, trying to figure out they we've just switched to a 90 minute block. And now we're, we're trying to figure out how we can support our teachers that have never had to do a 90 minute block. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, if we remember the true reason that we are in that, in that building, like Julie has talked to us today, it is to be, it is to, to leave an impact on these kids so that 30 years from now, some crazy lady that, that, puts a table in a, um, a you know, a, a 4-H fair and, and this has this crazy sign saying, hey, just come talk to me about your favorite teacher, um, that we will have something to talk about or that person yeah. that we taught will have something to talk about. And so, um, Julie, I'm going to end this, but I'm going to tell you this episode has been awesome for my heart. Um, oh, good. I mean, Thank you. I mean that. Um, I'm a big believer in God winks, um, mm-hmm. big believer that if you keep your eyes open, God will give you a, um, kind of a little sign that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, uh, Julie, I mean it when I say this, you've, you've been my God wink today. Oh, thank you. Same. Amen to that. Yes. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Thank you. What a great conversation. I've been looking forward to this and it did not disappoint. Excellent. Okay. So, uh, Julie, I know there's a bunch of people out there listening that would love um, to not only get a copy of your book, but would also like to follow you um, on the different social medias, maybe reach out to mm-hmm. you, um, maybe when they're out and about past Appalachian State, uh, taking you out for breakfast. And so how can the people get a hold of you? Yes, please connect with me and please share your stories about your teachers or your students. I'm a story collector. I would love to hear from you. I'm Julie S. Hassan on all the social media, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, But also Chalk and Chances is my website. The stories are there. If you need a little boost, if you want to read a story someone shared about their favorite teacher, check them out there. And you can also connect with me through that website. Okay. And is that, did you say that was chalkandchances.com? That's right. Okay. I wanted to make sure I got it written. Um, okay. So Miss Julie, um, uh, if I, I'm going to end this by saying, 
Um, if there is a first year teacher that is listening to this, that is getting ready to start her or her, his very first year at education, give them one sentence. Accept mm. the messiness of it because it's messy, but it's beautiful. Ooh. Dropping the mic. That one's beautiful. <laughs> Well, Miss Julie, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you stand for. And I appreciate everything that you were doing um, over there in Appalachian State. Um, I can't believe, uh, you know, I can't believe that the people that you are churning out are just not just rock stars in the classrooms. And so um, just thank what you've done. Thank you for what you've done, what you're continuing to do. And um, thank you for being on the Big Ed Idea podcast. Oh, thank you, my friend, Ryan. You too. Right back at you. Thank you. And to my people um, that are out there listening, I really appreciate you. I, uh, yeah, I love you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for listening. And if you ever need anything from me, if you have a question, if you just want to talk, Ed, if you just want to, just somebody to talk to, reach out to me, Ryan C. Scott, 1981 on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook at just Ryan Scott. Look for the guy with four daughters. Um, and after that, I'm just going to close it like I always do in the immortal words of my grandfather, John Janoski, who grew up in the coal fields of West Virginia. Until we see you next time, I will see you in the Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.